0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: I saw on the REI website, they they have some suggestions. And one is, consider the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 packing rule. Their suggestion is, you bring one hat, two pairs of shoes... Three bottoms, meaning pants or shorts, depending on what climate you're going to. Four tops, five pairs of socks, and six pairs of underwear. All
0: right, hold on. Back it up. I stopped listening when you said two pairs of shoes. You have never, ever packed only two pairs of shoes.
1: (laughs) I know. If this were my list, I would change it to one pair of underwear and six pairs of shoes.
0: Okay, well, if you switch to that plan, then I will be packing some underwear for you.
1: (laughs) I think your underwear is going to be a little big for me. (laughs) This is the Dear Bob and Sue Podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith.
0: And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. This is our monthly mailbag episode, where we answer questions about the national parks, road trips, camping, backpacking, gear, relationships, and pretty much whatever anyone wants to ask us.
1: That's right. Today we'll be continuing our conversations about travel planning, answering questions about how we decide where to go each year, how long does it take us to pack for a road trip, how to pack lightly when flying, how to plan an impromptu trip, and much, much more coming up next. Coming up next. No?
0: (laughs) It's not next.
1: (laughs) And much, much more coming up next. anniversary Matt. Can you hear me?
0: Just barely.
1: (laughs) Woohoo. Wild party going on here. It is a
0: wild party. It's all it's all the people who've listened to our podcast over the last two years. (laughs) Woohoo. Yeah, we're coming up on the two year anniversary of launching our podcast. It was on January thirtieth, two years ago.
1: Can you believe it's been two years?
0: It seems like (laughs) ten.
1: It does kind of seem like seems, seems like
0: a long time, yeah.
1: Oh, how young and naive we were back then.
0: Yeah, well, we should probably tell people we don't have a party going on here. It's just you and I.
1: It's always just you and I. Just speaking
0: into the microphones. That's right. Didn't really know what to expect when we launched our podcast. Uh, But, you know, over the last couple of years, we've had over 500,000 downloads of our episodes.
1: That seems like a lot.
0: And according to the platform we publish on a hundred and ninety eight thousand unique listeners, almost two hundred thousand unique listeners,
1: Wow, which I don't
0: know what that means
1: I don't either but but thank you all for tuning in
0: or it could be one person who's <laughs> listening to us on two hundred thousand different laptops, but
1: <laughs> well, thank you to that one person yeah, thank then. you, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Yeah, but we have learned a lot. When we started two years ago, our producers at the time suggested that our podcast be about 30 minutes long, 30, maybe stretch it to 40 minutes. And we were giving them what, like an hour and a half. Blew right past (laughs) that. Yeah.
0: And I don't know why they're so long. There is about twenty minutes of History Channel in each episode. No, <laughs>
1: you cannot blame it on History Channel. The reason they were so long is because we made the mistake of choosing topics that were way too big for a half an hour. Like, I think we we did one on our favorite hikes in all the national parks. Like, yeah, what we, were we, we thinking? We
0: need to cut the uh, topics down. We yes. need to we need to shorten them. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I don't know if you all have noticed that. Now the podcast episodes are anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes.
0: They're getting a little shorter. Yeah. We're we're working on it. We're trying to get them to 30 minutes a week, but- Yes. I don't know. We have trouble doing that.
1: It's that laughing. It's the inappropriate laughing. (laughs) It's
0: the inappropriate (laughs) laughing. If we cut that out, we would be at 17 minutes a week. (laughs) Can we do that? If I
1: cut out all the laughing, then you would never hear my voice.
0: (laughs) I don't so, know what I don't know what you're the, laughing at over the there. The Matt
1: Smith podcast. Well, here's the thing, too. people don't see the faces that you make at me and your expressions and sometimes I don't make faces. Yes, um, you do. And sometimes I'm I'm saying something fairly serious and you'll give me this this look and it makes me laugh and people don't get it because they can't see your face.
0: Oh, it's my fault. <laughs> yes, it's my fault it's that your you're face's laughing fault. so much. <laughs>
1: it's your face's fault. It's my face's
0: fault <laughs> that you're laughing. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. But before we get started with our mailbag questions, we you do have a history channel, no, a
0: surprise history channel.
1: No, there's no history channel today, but we do have some park news that we should talk about. OK, one big piece of park news has to do with Denali National Park and that the Denali Park Road is going to be closed all summer long at mile marker number forty-three. That's kind of a big deal.
0: It is a big deal because that's like not even halfway through the park on the, on the park road, and there's a lot of great things beyond that point. But they had uh, they had a rock slide, and so they. Mm-hmm can't help this. So you should know this if if you're planning a trip into Denali and you want to take the bus back there.
1: Right. It's called the Pretty Rocks Landslide, which kind of makes it sound like something nice. But um, all
0: all the pretty rocks (laughs) slid.
1: That's right. Wow. Uh, I guess it's been kind of a sketchy area for years and it's finally given way. And apparently they need to build a bridge over that section now, which is going to take... At least a year, and they said it could take two years. So as you said, Matt, the, the, those park tour buses usually go to the end of the road, which is 92 miles, and then back, and that's how visitors see the park. And this summer, the buses will only go to mile marker 43.
0: Yeah. So what other cheery news do you have for us?
1: The other cheery piece of news is that Shenandoah National Park just announced that the most popular trail in the park, which is called Old Rag, they are now starting a day-use reservation system for that. And that's going to run from March through November. So if you want to hike that trail, you need to get online and get a day-use ticket.
0: And they're going to limit it to 800 visitors per day?
1: I could not believe that That's when I read that. That is still a lot of people. 800 hikers a day.
0: I, I didn't realize how popular it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're limiting it to, to eight, eight, I 800, know. yeah, I know. there must so, be a lot of people doing it.
1: Yeah. So if you're planning a trip March through November, um, look at the info on the Shenandoah National Park website about getting your day-use tickets. They will cost $1.
0: If you got eight hundred dollars tickets, do you think you could just do the hike yourself? You'd have it all day to yourself? Do you think you could do that?
1: I don't know, Matt. I don't know if they set a limit on that, if you could put 800 tickets in your cart.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe not.
1: Okay. We'll get back to you folks on that one. Okay. Okay, so today's mailbag episode is going to be more park planning info because after we aired episode 65 which was called how to plan your national parks trips we got a whole bunch of follow-up questions about that episode
0: yeah and i don't know that we're necessarily experts on either planning or packing although we've done a lot of it and you know Mm -hmm. we're we're not completely stupid so we probably have learned a few things that we could wait a second (laughs) we're not obviously stupid (laughs) but we, we probably learned a few things tips we can pass on but we're like we're not the experts on this we'll share with you what we've learned
1: no we're simple folk remember? we're
0: simple <laughs> that's we're simple
1: i had an idea for a new podcast series that we could do called simple folk simple
0: folk that's right we're going to change this <laughs> to simple folk mm-hmm. because that's us
1: that's us okay
0: do you want me to ask you what, what the first question is yeah oh, please okay. so karen what's our first question
1: Thank you, Matt, for asking. Our first question comes from Sharon, and she wrote to us, I really enjoyed your podcast about how to plan for a national park trip. Since you've already been to all the national parks, I'm curious about how you guys decide where you're going to go each year.
0: Well, we don't decide. I get (laughs) told where we're going. (laughs) <laughs> it kind of goes like this over coffee hey by the way we're going here 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 and there on these dates
1: that's true I I was going to mention this in a different question but I usually do the planning and Matt does the packing which I I do do
0: the following <laughs> <laughs> I go along what if one day I just refuse to go I just go limp and decide like no I'm not I'm not going
1: Okay, who else wants to come with me out there? <laughs> Email us. Matt and Karen Smith at gmail.com. Looks like I need some new hiking partners.
0: Okay, so what what's the okay. question? Um, are you you're not even done with the question? No,
1: that was the question. Oh. How do we decide where we're going to go each year? So that's a good question. What we start with, there's a couple different factors in this, is at the end of the year, the beginning of a new year, we look ahead, you know, throughout the year and figure out what our travel obligations already are. For instance, You know, maybe we have a wedding out of state to go to, or maybe it's someone's big birthday and we're going to their birthday party, things like that. So when we have those kinds of events, then we usually plan a national parks trip around that area,
0: But yeah, you can't move somebody else's wedding date. So you you got those kind of boulders in the stream that you have to work around.
1: Exactly. Now, for instance, you were asking us where we're going. So this year, we have a family trip planned to Disneyland. Yes, the happiest place on earth in April. So Matt and I will drive down from Seattle. And on the way, we'll probably be stopping at Redwood National Park and Sequoia and maybe Yosemite. So we'll be fitting those parks into this completely unrelated Disneyland trip.
0: And those are all contingent on the weather, which we might not know until a few days ahead of time, right? So Mm -hmm. we kind of have to have plan A, plan B, plan C, just because, you know, if if something comes up, we want to have alternate places to go.
1: Right. And then another thing is that Matt always goes on a guy's trip to Vegas for March Madness. And so we typically add on a trip to Utah either the week before that, and then I fly home or I fly down to Vegas and we do the week after.
0: Yeah, and that is such a great area. I know we've done uh, an episode on this and we've talked about it many times, but a lot of people think of Las Vegas as you know conventions and partying and all of that. But that area of the country is fantastic for outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of great things to do outside, even if you never go to the casinos.
1: We always have a hard time deciding where we'll go from Vegas, because in one direction you have Death Valley, in another direction you have Zion, in another direction you have the Grand Canyon. You know, just throw a rock, and you're going to have a great place to go from Vegas.
0: Yeah, we don't recommend throwing rocks.
1: Well, no, so don't throw any rocks. Okay, so we look at what we already have on the calendar and plan around that. And then the next thing we do is we look in the wish bucket.
0: We look in the wish bucket. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wish bucket also affects what... Permits and lotteries and things like that that we have to uh, sign up for anywhere from a few to 13 months ahead of time. Right. We try to get our permits and, and enter lotteries for things. And some of those work, some of those don't. And mm-hmm. so that, that, those are kind of another set of things that you work around if, if you win if or if you get the permit.
1: Right. One thing I'm really excited about doing this year is we're going to finally hike rim to rim at the Grand Canyon. This has been on our list for like 10 years.
0: We came really close one time. We had the reservations on the South Rim at Phantom Ranch at North Rim. And literally the day we were going to do it, the pipe broke from uh, that that brings water to the South Rim from the North Rim and, and flooded the trail. They closed the trail, Literally for one day. So we had to go South Rim, down, back to Mm -hmm. South Rim. Anyway, we have the reservation for Phantom Ranch, which is the hardest one to get. You can you start there.
1: Yes, that's a lottery now. And we've been entering the lottery for a long time. And finally, our dear, sweet, wonderful friend Lolly won. She won a night at Phantom Ranch for four of us. So we're the four of us together are going to do Rim to Rim.
0: Yeah, and when I say you start there, that, that's the first reservation to get. Yes. You, you, you start either on the North Rim or the South Rim.
1: Mm-hmm. So we have that to look forward to. Then another thing I know we talked about in our podcast episode when we talked about going to the Granite Park Chalet in Glacier, we mentioned how we wanted to do the other backcountry chalet, which is Sperry. So we got online a few weeks ago when they opened the reservations, and we were lucky enough to get a night at Sperry in August. So again, we'll be doing that with John and Lolly. We'll be hiking up and spending the night at, at, um, at Sperry.
0: Yeah, that's great because we had reservations in the past, uh, actually the year it burnt. And so we missed it by, gosh, just a week. So great to finally get to do that.
1: Yes. Now, some other things that have been in the bucket, we've wanted to drive up to the some of the Canadian national parks like Banff and Jasper, but COVID has kind of thrown a wrench in those plans over and over again. So we'll see what this summer looks like. It kind of depends on what their entry requirements are and the, the testing, COVID testing and if there's any quarantining. And So we'd like to do that. We'll have to wait and see about that. Uh, we'd also um, we'd like to go to Italy in the fall for our anniversary.
0: Yeah, big, big waiting anniversary this year.
1: So those are some of the plans we have so far. I, I know other things will come up. We're trying to um, branch out a little bit from just repeatedly going back to the national parks. We like to have more experiences, right. um, if that makes sense.
0: Well, yeah. And when we first decided to go to all the national parks, I think that became the the goal, right, is to get to all of them and see them all. I think now it's it's less about checking them all off the list, but... The different experiences we want to have, and it may be in a national park or it may be in some other public land. So a given park, there might be five things we want to do in that park, and we've only done three of them. So it's not like we've checked that park off. So we don't really think about, well, we've been to that park already or been there several times. It's the thing we're trying to experience.
1: Exactly, Like for instance, last year, getting a permit to hike the subway in Zion, that had been in the bucket for a while too. So I hope that answers your question. So basically we look at our obligations, plan trips around those. Then we start looking in the wish bucket and seeing what can we pull out now and and hopefully get a permit for, get a reservation for, and we start working on that list as well.
0: Yeah, and of course it's all subject to how much vacation time you have and and things like that. So we've learned over the last couple of years, you just have to be flexible and take what you can get.
1: Right. So thank you, Sharon, for that question. That was a good one. Okay. Moving on, we have a question from Penny who lives in Port Charlotte, Florida. And she wrote, this Thanksgiving, my husband and I took a trip to Carlsbad Caverns. Yay. Guadalupe Mountains, and White Sands National Park. At one point, we had six people in our car, along with luggage, cooler, and lots of other totes and small bags. We were also staying at several places, which required packing and unpacking multiple times. On the way home, while listening to your podcast, I thought perhaps you might have some helpful hints for packing bags, packing the car, and traveling to several stops.
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one because, Mm. uh, you know, people always want to bring more than they need, and so if you have four people or six people in a car, it can get crowded quickly.
1: Yeah, there's only so much you can do. Uh, We ran into the same issue in October when we went with our friends Bob and Sue to New River Gorge and then on to Shenandoah because... We flew to Detroit and went in their car, and their car was not very big. It
0: wasn't huge. So, I mean, one one suggestion is get the biggest rental car you can.
1: Yes, absolutely. Get the biggest rental car because then you have more room to put all your stuff in.
0: Yeah, get a a big old Suburban. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing that we've done, uh, whether it's just us going or we're traveling with people, is... You know, you can pack fewer clothes if you know that there's going to be laundry facilities.
1: And a lot of hotels now have a, have a laundry room. Right. A lot of the chain hotels. So sometimes we will book a hotel one over another based on if they have some washing machines there. Because it is, especially when you're out hiking and you get sweaty and dirty, it is really nice to be able to wash the hiking clothes. Yep. So another tip is, and this was Matt's tip to me a long time ago. Buy a smaller suitcase and limit your packing to whatever you can fit inside that suitcase. That's what you take.
0: And another part of that guideline is you pack it, you carry it, (laughs) right? Which which also helps people limit their stuff. We had to institute this early in the Smith family traveling, didn't we? Mm -hmm. And we we even, even had it with our kids. You can take whatever you want as long as you can carry it.
1: That's right. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny because we've been to so many parks where people go on tour buses and they're part of a tour. And we will be checking out of our hotel, wheeling our little pull-behinds to our our car. And there are all those huge suitcases lined up outside the bus. Huge. Like the biggest suitcases I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. And... Of course, and a lot of on a lot of those tours, the the staff is taking care of the luggage and that there's no penalty for having huge luggage.
1: I saw on the REI website. They they have some suggestions and one is consider the 123456 packing rule. Their suggestion is you bring one hat, two pairs of shoes, three bottoms, meaning pants or shorts depending on what climate you're going to, four tops, five pairs of socks, and six pairs of underwear. <laughs> and then, of course, you customize your suitcase to include whatever else you might need. Like, do you need a swimming suit or, or raincoats or whatever is specific to your trip?
0: All right, hold on. Back it up. I stopped listening when you said two pairs of shoes. You have never, ever packed only two <laughs> pairs of shoes.
1: I know. If this were my list, I would change it to one pair of underwear and six pairs of shoes.
0: Okay, well, if you switch to that plan, then I will be packing some underwear for you.
1: I think your underwear is going to be a little big for me.
0: No, I'm packing your underwear in my bag so I can lend you a pair. That's right. Well,
1: yeah, that brings me to another point is if you buy synthetic underwear and synthetic shirts that quick dry you can wash them in your hotel sink and hang them up overnight and they'll be dry the next day i know you've done that a few times i
0: i like to wash mine in the ice bucket <laughs> 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 it's usually Ew. when you're taking a nap <laughs> <laughs> you don't really no, do you. I, no, no no okay no and and in all seriousness i wear the ex officio uh travel underwear and mm. those things you can't you can wash them out they dry quickly uh, i mean really you you could if you knew you were going to be somewhere with the sink right you, yes. you could have two pairs of underwear and, and wash one wear one at any given time i mean that that doesn't save you a ton of space because. Underwear doesn't take up a lot of space anyway. Right. Um, We always struggle with shoes.
1: Shoes is a tough one. It is. Mm -hmm. um, Especially for women.
0: (laughs) I know. And I I even want to take six pairs of shoes. And when we're driving, that's not really a problem like it is when we're flying.
1: No, it's not. When we fly somewhere, I wear my heaviest things on the plane. I look like I, I have gained 40 pounds. So I'll wear my hiking boots. I'll wear my my coached like down puffy, maybe a down vest under it. I usually have one pair of jeans. I'll wear the jeans on the plane because those are you know bulkier in a suitcase. So if you're flying, wear the biggest stuff you can.
0: I forget what trip it was, but but we wore like I had literally like five shirts on, and that does work if it's not a six hour flight and I'm sitting in the back of the plane by the bathrooms, baking like a potato. <laughs> like I normally am.
1: With people lined up in the aisle next to you waiting to go to the bathroom, Mm. looking at you. Mm. (laughs) And then a couple of more specific things. If you're flying somewhere and and you're going hiking, which probably most of you are, if it's just hiking, what we do is we carry our backpacks on the plane as like our carry-on. So instead of a purse, I would have a backpack with my stuff in it. And then... We wear, as I said, we wear hiking boots on the plane. Yeah,
0: yeah, the biggest shoes you have, the biggest shoes you're taking, wear those on the plane.
1: Right. And then if by chance you're going on a backpacking slash, you know, camping trip. So when we went up to the Chilkoot, we had so much gear because we were going to be out In the backcountry for, what, four or five nights? Yeah, same luck forever. Yeah, so we bought an old duffel. No, we didn't buy an old duffel. (laughs) We bought a new duffel that was sturdy, and we put in that our big backpacks, our trekking poles, and some of that kind of stuff. And then we had to check that bag along with our luggage. Yeah,
0: we have Osprey packs that we use when we do multi-day backpacking trips, and they make a duffel specifically for that model of backpack we yeah. have and it has some extra room and yeah, you just stuff yeah. as much as you can in there. Yeah.
1: So one thing you did mention, you had a cooler. You could also take a smaller cooler.
0: Yeah. We stopped taking our large cooler because it just takes up a lot of room and, and you don't really need to keep everything cool at once. You only need to just have some of your food and beverages along the way. and And then we put them in as we need them.
1: Yeah, we just stop and buy food and drinks and beers and things day after day after day and refill the cooler.
0: Spend a lot of time in the grocery stores on our trips. That's
1: right. (laughs) And of course, don't forget, you'll want to save room in your car for any shopping purchases that you make along the way.
0: Or you could just not buy anything and then problem solved.
1: When has that ever happened? Never. I know. (laughs) That's a
0: suggestion.
1: So, Penny, I don't know if this was helpful at all. I mean, if you have six people in your car and six people's luggage and and that kind of stuff, I mean, there is just no way to get around that unless you get a bigger car. Thank you for the question, Penny.
0: Reese's peanut
1: butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no,
0: that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Okay, Karen, what's our next question?
1: The next question comes from Steve and he wrote, my wife and I have visited several national parks over the years and I never knew about the passport books until listening to your podcast. So with the kids now out of high school and college, it's time for us to travel. We did Acadia National Park for our 25th wedding anniversary last summer for the first time and we got our first stamps.
0: All right, Steve.
1: That is exciting. So the question how do we decide to go back to a national park when we have so many others that we still have not yet experienced? Acadia was stunning, and I can't imagine not going back one more time.
0: Yeah, I think what I would say is go back. Go back to those places that you love. Sure. Uh, I mean, it, granted, there's finite amount of time and vacation time to, to go to places, but uh, I, I definitely would not recommend not going back to the places you love just because, you know, there's there's something else on the list. And, and we said this in the answer to an earlier question is we think of the parks not so much as the park is one activity, but there are things in the park and it could be, you know, four or five destinations or hikes or things we want to do in that park. And if you've only done a few of them, it, it makes Total sense to go back to that park and do some of those other things.
1: Yeah. And the thing is until you start experiencing some of the other parks and the climates and the you know the desert parks and the high alpine parks, you don't really know what you're gonna love and what's gonna speak to you. So for instance, and I always bring this up is Carlsbad Caverns. We had no expectations going in. I didn't think I would like the cave at all. And I absolutely loved Carlsbad Caverns, but Matt, not so much. So after we spent our day there and we, we did a ranger-led tour and we did the self-guided big room... I found out that there were all these other tours, these ranger-led tours, that involved going down deeper and darker and some belly crawling, and I wanted to do those.
0: And we're not doing that.
1: (laughs) Well, we've done a few. Well, I'm
0: not doing belly crawling. I don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But my point is this, is Matt would not go back to Carlsbad Caverns if I didn't talk him into going with me.
0: And promise me things that, by the way, you've never delivered on. (laughs)
1: probably won't. So there will be some parks where you will visit and you probably will think, okay, I'm done. I don't need to go back. And then there will be some, there are some parks that we've been at least a dozen times and we cannot wait to go back. So it's hard to know ahead of time what you're going to love and and what kind of park is going to speak to you.
0: I think that's one of the biggest lessons we learned going to all the parks is you have no idea what that experience is going to be like. You can listen to our Podcast episodes, you can read blog posts, you can read guidebooks, until you experience it, you have no idea, and it, and something could be just so so, and something could be just you know life changing. There are so many parks we went to that we had zero expectation, and they turned out to be incredible experiences, like Lassen Volcanic in Northern California. Like mm-hmm. we had, we didn't even know that was a park, and you know it was kind of on the list, so we got to go see it. It was an, in- an incredible park, I think. Death Valley was kind of that way, too.
1: Yeah. I think the other thing, too, is going to the parks can change you as a person. I'm here to say that for an absolute fact, because for those of you who have read Dear Bob and Sue, I had no interest in camping. I was not a camper. I didn't even like to pee in the woods. I wouldn't even do that.
0: And now you like it.
1: And now I like to pee in the woods. Um, But... Since that time, we have started camping, we now backpack and that has opened up a whole new world to us. And it's made our, it's made my wish bucket so much fuller because there are places I want to go now and go backpacking there. So I guess my point is, until you go to some of these places, you don't know what's going to spark your interest. Maybe you'll take up mountain biking and you want to bike in these parks or or camping or backpacking or horseback riding or, or whatever. But I think that going to these places can be life-changing and it, it can change what's on your radar now and what might be on your radar after you've been to some of these places.
0: I think doing some of these things also helps you be less anxious or have less anxiety the next time you do it. For instance, once we kind of learned how to backpack, then the next time we did a backpacking trip, we had no anxiety about how we're going to react to the backpack and sleeping in the middle of nowhere and all of that. So we could stop worrying about the backpacking itself and all the unknowns and just enjoy the trip
1: that's a really good point I think that's that's so true and the other thing too is you don't know what you're capable of or you don't know how much you're capable of until you actually try some of these things I know we get comments on our Instagram account and we'll show something that we did and we get people will respond I could never do that I can't do that you might surprise yourself about how capable you really are
0: yeah I think one of our one of the points in all seriousness one of the points of our podcast episodes, the the books we write is like we're really average folk.
1: We're, we're, simple, we're simple folk, simple folk,
0: <laughs> but we're average folk too. Like we're not world class athletes. We're not. We're I mean, nothing. we're we're in fine shape, but we're not yeah. like in great shape. We're mm-hmm. not young by any stretch. Like we're just average people, and the majority of these things we do are accessible for most people.
1: Yeah, it's not like we're out doing 14ers on a regular basis,
0: or or ever.
1: Do you remember, it used to be a long time ago when we'd hear other hikers say how difficult it was to finish their 14er, which, by the way, refers to a 14,000 foot tall mountain peak. We thought they were talking about the
0: size of their pizza. (laughs) 14. If we can finish off a 14er, easy. Sometimes we do 18ers.
1: (laughs) We can polish off an 18er without too much difficulty.
0: Yeah, without too much difficulty.
1: Anyway, we're very excited for you, Steve, because you have your brand new park passport, and now you get to go out and start filling it up. So I'm kind of envious because I think seeing those places for the first time is incredibly special. So we wish you all the best as you fill that passport up.
0: Yeah, good luck.
1: Okay, what do we have next, Matt?
0: (laughs) What do we have next, Karen? You're the keeper of the, Uh, the questions.
1: Okay, our next question comes from Mary in Wisconsin. And she asks us, how long does it take you guys to pack for a road trip? It seems like it takes us forever to plan what we need and get it all together and packed. Regardless if the trip is a few days or a few weeks, you pretty much need the same amount of stuff. Maybe an impromptu road trip won't ever be in our wheelhouse.
0: So how long does it take us to pack for a road trip?
1: That is a tough question to answer.
0: Kind of. It kind of depends on how long we have. It seems like we take as long as the time is that we have to prepare. If we have a month to prepare, then it takes us a month. And and if we had to, we could we could go on a trip in a day or two. We could a long trip. Yeah, we just yeah. throw shit in the truck.
1: Yeah, when we have the luxury of um, of knowing weeks ahead that we're going somewhere, we do kind of pack slowly and we use what we call our system of packing things in piles. <laughs> we have piles spread out throughout the house.
0: And sometimes I have bags. Like yeah. I have the sleep kits in bags and I've got the snowshoe stuff in bags.
1: Yeah, but luckily we don't live with anyone else because they would find it hard to step around. I usually have piles by the front door of... Hiking boots and jackets and hats and, and backpack and all kinds of things like that. My trekking poles and then Matt, like on the kitchen table, you'll have piles of, I don't know what your piles are, <laughs> batteries and things like that. I have and a lot jet
0: <laughs> batteries and jet boil <laughs> items. Yeah. Jet boil accessories. Yeah. 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 We do the pile system. To answer the question, you know, I don't think we're really any better at this than we were at the the beginning. If we have two weeks to pack, it takes us two weeks. But uh, there are times when we've all of a sudden decided to do something and we'll pack up in two days. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would say is lists help a lot. And the other thing is I used to make lists for, well, this is a cold weather trip. So this is all of our snowshoeing stuff. And now I just have one big list because even if it's a summer trip, I can quickly cross off the snowshoeing stuff. But but if I try to have several lists, then I get all confused. So lists help a lot. Mm-hmm. Another thing is that I try to keep things that are related together. For instance, I have a duffel bag that has my snowshoes in it, but it also has my gaiters and my micro spikes in there. And so I know if I grab that duffel, I, I look through it pretty quick, but it's all in one place for that particular thing.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Our backpacks are the same way, our day packs, our hiking backpacks, because... We keep everything in there. It's dedicated to that pack. We don't fish through and take stuff out. Our 10 essentials always stay in there. The sunscreen is in that backpack forever until it expires. So when we're ready to go on a road trip, I literally pick my backpack up off the closet floor where I keep mine and put it in the truck, and it is ready to go. Now, sometimes we do have to switch out whether it's summer or winter because summer we have bug spray and head nets and things. So there is a little bit of seasonal variation but but we do have like dedicated stuff in our packs which which helps a lot. We're not constantly searching and repacking those. And if you can have a dedicated space somewhere where you keep your road trip items like your folding chairs and your cooler and all that kind of stuff you're going to take, if you have a dedicated space, whether it's in your garage or it's in a front hall closet or it's in your basement, then when you're ready for a road trip, you just move it from wherever it is into into the back of your car.
0: Another thing I've switched to in the last couple of years is I try not to put stuff on shelves. You can fit a lot more in a smaller spot on shelves, but now I just I put hooks on walls. Whether it's the garage, we have a little workshop, and hang stuff because you want to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. And I've found that when I put things on shelves, things get buried, and it takes me forever to find it. And so, even though you know it does take up a lot of wall space and you end up putting up a lot of hooks, I'd rather have a wall full of stuff. I can see it all and I can just go get it.
1: Yeah, I think those things would be helpful. But again, the list, the list is crucial. And you could create a list for your clothes and personal items and then another list for gear and the other things that you want to have in your car. Do you have anything else to add, Matt?
0: Nope. <laughs> no, good okay, luck. Mary,
1: you're on your own. Good, <laughs> good luck. It's
0: going to take you forever to pack for every trip. Now, yeah, yeah. impromptu trips are definitely within your wheelhouse.
1: Happy road trip, Mary. Okay, our last question. We get asked frequently about how to plan an impromptu national park trip. All of a sudden you have a few days off and you want to go somewhere. How do you plan it?
0: Well, the, the first thing you need to check is you need to check the weather because that's not something you can control. And usually if it's impromptu, you probably have a good idea a few days out what the weather's going to be like. You know, if if the weather's going to suck where you're going to go, you need to make another plan.
1: Exactly. I keep wanting to do an impromptu road trip down to Sequoia to see the big trees in the snow. And every time I check the weather, it's, it's 50 degrees and sunny. There is no snow. So check the weather and check the road status if it's winter, because a lot of these parks, many of the roads are closed and you might not be able to get there from the airport that you fly into. So check weather, check roads.
0: Yeah. The other thing you have to do, and we wouldn't have had to say this a couple of years ago, but, but check to see if the park has a reservation system, whether it's for to just get in the park or the shuttle into the park. You know, those have been added a lot in the last couple of years. And so you, you, you need to know if, if you can actually get in the park.
1: Well, that's right. Get into the park. And also, I know a lot of people want to go to Zion just to hike Angel's Landing. Now, Angel's Landing, you have to enter a lottery to get that. So if you think you're just going to take a weekend, go to Zion and hike Angel's Landing, it's no longer that easy. So check to see if the hike you want to do has a permit system. And following right along that, check if the tour that you want to do has openings.
0: For instance, in mesa verde national park there's ranger led tours they might have openings they might have cancellations a lot a lot of times those fill up well in advance the bus in denali Mm -hmm. you know if you want to go past the first few miles of the park road you're going to have to be on the bus the boat in glacier bay and and kenai fjord see if uh if those are available
1: Mm -hmm. so that's key you don't want to get to the park and then have nothing to do and some of those parks are like that and then, of course, if so, if all those things are good, then you need to see if you can get lodging in or around the park. Is is there somewhere for you to stay, or if you are camping, are the campgrounds open? Do you need a reservation? Is it first come first serve? So, so check out the lodging.
0: Sometimes what we'll do is, if we want to stay in a lodge and it's been sold out forever, we'll book a motel close by where we can cancel up to like sometime during that day that we're supposed to check in. And then try to catch a cancellation. What you want to do is you want to look at the lodge's cancellation policy. And if it says seven days out, well, that's when everyone cancels. Mm -hmm. Like like eight days out, they start canceling. And so that's when you try to call and get a cancellation. And then sometimes people just don't show. So the day of, you can also try to catch a cancellation. But if you have a motel where you can cancel up to, let's say, 4 p.m. in the afternoon, and then you get the lodge reservation. Then you can just cancel your motel. But, but you want to have a backup.
1: Absolutely. You definitely want to have a backup or you might be sleeping in your rental car. And the last thing, so, so if all these are still good, then if you're flying, you need to check out the flights and the rental cars because, you know, if you're going for a long weekend, you obviously want to make the most of your time. You don't want to spend the whole time flying. I know rental cars have become expensive, so you want to check that part too.
0: And a small town that has a college like Missoula, or Bozeman or somewhere like that, you got to check the football schedule because on on game days, a lot of times there's no lodging. That's right. Or there could be a rodeo in town or something like that. Mm -hmm. So kind of check the other events in and around that town that you're planning on staying.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, so people will email us and they'll DM us and they'll say, hey, I'm thinking about going to, you know, this particular park in three weeks. Is it too late to plan it? It's never too late if you can get all those things to line up. We have planned trips within, you know, three days of when we were going to leave because we could get everything lined up.
0: And some of those have been some of our best trips.
1: Yes. Sometimes there is nothing like a spontaneous trip to a national park or, you know, some other public land. So that that's all the questions we have today.
0: All right, good questions.
1: Yeah, I know people love to plan for their national parks trip. They like to think about it. They like to look at the maps. They like to to read everything about it. It's just such a it's such a beloved topic. I think next to actually visiting the park is planning the park trip.
0: That's right. The anticipation is a big part of it, but I got to say no matter how much you read and hear about like the experience itself is going to be usually very different than your expectations and so many times just you know way beyond your expectations and 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 just different right i mean you just can't tell what a park's like by looking at a map or, or seeing the photos you gotta be there and that's the great thing about traveling to the national parks or, or any of our public lands
1: very well said Joining us today, and a special shout out to our friends in Ireland who have been tuning in. We have a special place in our hearts for Ireland because we both have grandparents who immigrated to the US from Ireland.
0: Well, not the same, they're not the same grandparents. That would make us cousins, (laughs) that would be weird on a few levels. (laughs) Yeah. If you have any questions you'd like us to talk about on future episodes, you can send those to us via email at mattandkarensmith at gmail.com.
1: Tune in next week as we travel back to Utah and talk about a very beloved park, Zion National Park.
0: That's it for us today. What do you think, Karen? Should we go have some beers and get a Meat Lovers 14er?
1: That sounds good. I'm pretty hungry. Let's let's splurge though and and go get that 18.
0: Okay.